Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. In fact, the crazy is a double-fisted Molson because it's coming from Canada. But, uh, Jim, before we get into our good martini, which is much closer to home than that, uh, we are seeing some signs that things are not looking good when it comes to Russia's intentions uh, towards Ukraine. Uh, There are tweets out uh, this morning, one uh, quoting uh, Alabama Congressman Mike Rogers, that there's uh, potentially a shelling of civilian infrastructure going on uh, in addition to recent cyber attacks. And as you tweeted out uh, just minutes ago, it appears there's a lot of things being burned at a very important place in Kiev. Yeah, that's the Russian embassy in Kiev. People are saying that the there's a lot of smoke, not from a bombing or anything, but coming out of the chimneys, which suggests that they are destroying documents. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why would Russian diplomats in Kiev be burning lots of documents? Well, they might feel that the embassy is not going to be secure in the not too distant future. And if they, you might think, hmm, what do Russian diplomats in Kiev know is going to happen that would make them think the Russian embassy in Kiev is not uh, secure. Oh, by the way, the United States pulled its last people out of the embassy in Kiev a couple of days ago. Uh, as for the shelling, my understanding is that is in the Donbas region where it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes you do get the forecasts that are cloudy with the chance of incoming Russian separatist shells. So uh, that by itself is not an enormously out of, char- out of character development, but it does certainly is an ominous sign. And uh, we, we mentioned this before our regular Martinis listeners. So just in case Russia invades by the time you hear this, we don't feel like we ignored it right before the war started. Yeah, that's the latest info we have as we're uh, doing this. Little and if little nothing little. happens, forget we said this. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly all right. All right. Well, let's talk about happier things, at least for the moment, with our good martini. Jim, it was just a little over a month ago that Glenn Youngkin got sworn in as the governor of Virginia. It's been a busy and, as it turns out, very effective uh, first month on the job. One of the very first things he did was sign an executive order uh, giving parents the option of whether or not their kids will wear masks to school. Predictably, um, school districts in more left-leaning areas, particularly around where we live, took them to court. The ones in Northern Virginia won initially. Uh, The one in Chesapeake uh, was thrown out by the Virginia Supreme Court. But eventually, uh, Glenn Youngkin got his way because he found a couple of Democrats in the state Senate to go along with his idea of putting parents back in charge of whether the kids were their masks. So it passed the democratically controlled state Senate. It passed the uh, the Republican-controlled state House of Delegates. And yesterday, Glenn Youngkin uh, declaring victory on the steps of, uh, I believe, the Capitol, or maybe it's the governor's mansion. I think it was the Capitol yesterday in Richmond. It is my distinct privilege and honor to be able to sign Senate Bill 700. And 39 into law in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So, Jim, of course, as we've said, he was vilified by the left uh, trying to kill people. And uh, now he's uh, apparently the tip of the iceberg. So Glenn Youngkin not only got a a major achievement uh, right out of the gate here, but he's also the tip of the spear. And now we're, we're seeing place after place across the country, even in deep blue areas, rolling things back. And of course, the COVID numbers do have a lot to do with that. But uh, his courage kind of uh, really got the ball rolling here. 
Indeed, Greg, and the Democrats on this issue had the choice of losing quickly and easily or losing in a very slow-paced and painful way. And uh, if you ever heard that saying about somebody who fell out of a tree and they hit every branch on the way down, that's kind of the way the Democrats were going with this. <clears throat> the entire time, first of all, again, all Youngkin was looking for is an ability to allow parents, to, if they want their kids to not wear masks, to go to school without masks. He's not saying masks are banned. He's not saying you can't have your kid wearing masks. There is an excellent chance in all these blue, bunch of these blue jurisdictions that once this change goes through, lots of kids are going to keep wearing masks. And that's fine. That's fine. No one's telling you you can't wear a mask. And oh, by the way, notice how often this is described as a mask mandate ban or a mask ban or something like that, a little bit inaccurately. The second thing is just kind of baffling is we kind of saw here in Fairfax County, they went to this, although I've been told that they... Fairfax County Public Schools keeps shifting what measuring stick they want to use. Is if you wanted to not look like you were, you know, uh, bending your will to Governor Youngkin, you weren't giving him a win, is to say, okay, look, we're going to do this based on conditions. Here are the conditions. That we, when, when this happens, we'll allow students to not wear masks. And oh, by the way, based on the positivity rate on PCR tests, Fairfax County is in that moderate category now. But apparently they're saying, oh, no, actually, we want to do it on a different measurement of cases per thousand people or something like that. They've suddenly realized we're knocking on the door of achieving that threshold for not wearing masks. And all of a sudden they want to find a completely different threshold. Either way, it's all going to be moot come March 1st. And, you know, the, the all of these school districts could have said, OK, we agree. The Omicron wave is, is subsiding. Uh, it is no longer the same level of threat as before everybody was vaccinated. Everybody's had, now had more than a year to get vaccinated. Everybody's had months and months to get boosted. You know, you, you are now accepting whatever risks that go with choosing to go masked. It's not up to us. Everybody go out and, you know, make your, make your own decisions for what makes you feel safest. And that, that could, you know, they could have backed down and they could have avoided this. They're not. And now I'm just left with the question, uh, Greg, Hey, Alexandria Shoppers, who's reading the room now? <laughs> Very good. The lady at the Safeway, wherever that was, uh, got a little ahead of her skis on that one. So, uh, Jim, I don't know if you saw the tweet the other day from Randy Weingarten, our favorite uh, head of the American Federation of Teachers, where she says, when does Joe Biden get credit for uh, you know defeating the Omicron wave here? <laughs> Defeating. Oh, OK. That's, that's a fun fun way to describe not having all those tests we needed around the holidays back when we needed them. Uh, as I said earlier in the week, I think we're down 80 percent from the peak. Um, you know, th that <clears throat> this was kind of you, you look at what's happened in 2020. You look at what's happened in 2021, heading into 2022. Lo and behold, uh, the you know, the, the cases spread a lot in winter and they go down in the summer almost like it's behavior driven. And the more time you spend outside, the more sunlight, the more air currents, the more wind, uh, you're outside, you're getting vitamin D from the sunlight, you're enjoying yourself, your life is going fine, you're less likely to get it. You're indoors in winter, it's cold, people are closer together, it's already overlapping with cold and flu season, all that other stuff, people get more cases. That's the only thing that's really changed the dynamics here. You can look at the states that have mass mandates, you look at the states that didn't have mass mandates, it really didn't make that much of a difference in the numbers at all. And so, you know, it has been this fascinating, oh, Bo Biden defeated the Omicron. Yeah, because everybody got it. <laughs> There's nobody left for it to jump into. That's what happened. So anyway. 
Randy Weingarten, once again, getting all political, which officially isn't her job, but uh, always seems to be. Uh, maybe she just needs a really good nap. And I'm sure Randy Weingarten is going to want to get the best quality sleeping uh, materials from MyPillow.com. But she's got to use our promo code Martini if she wants to take advantage of these fantastic deals. And obviously, you can do the very same thing as well. Wonderful deals. More than 20 deals for you to choose from, including... My pillows, the pillows themselves, as low as $19.98. Amazing. My slippers at 50% off. My pillow towel sets at just $39.99. 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99. I love and use all of these products. And when you order with our promo code Martini, you get a free copy of Mike Lindell's book. You know, Greg, I'm sure Randy Weingarten will get right on that. <laughs> uh, because we know she listens to this podcast all the time. Look. Teachers work hard, but teachers unions representatives spend a lot of time loafing around. And for that, they need slippers. And if you're gonna use any kind of slippers, you're gonna to wanna to have my slippers. With the exclusive four-tier cushioning system, including the MyPillow patented fill, the memory foam, the impact gel, and a sole that can be worn indoors and outdoors. You will find all of these offers and more at MyPillow.com. Click the radio listener square, don't forget that part, and use the promo code Martini at checkout. Or use the code when you call 800-874-0104 to place your order. Right now, every single order using the promo code Martini will receive Mike's new book entitled What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO absolutely free. MyPillow.com, promo code Martini, or call 800-874-0104. Don't forget the code Martini for your free book and, of course, the major discounts. All right, Jim, on to our bad Martini now and inflation, inflation, inflation. We don't have a new report today, but we do have some new polls showing overwhelmingly that the number one concern for American citizens and American voters in this pivotal election year and just looking at their lives right now, is inflation. Everything just about is costing more, and in some cases, a lot more. I'm thinking about gasoline in particular. Spent over $50 <laughs> uh, gassing up the car yesterday. Not happy. But uh, Joe Biden, of course, uh, after calling Lester Holt a wise guy, and you do an excellent job of laying this all out in the morning jolt today, uh, that's all, uh, you know, uh, semiconductors. Uh, we're falling behind on the supply. So there's uh, demand and that's inflation. And uh, he says a bunch of Nobel economists are saying it's going to be uh, headed the right way here pretty quick. But as you quote in today's jolt, a very unlikely source who you think would be a political ally and probably is with President Biden is calling that malarkey, in other words. Uh, in the New York Times, Steve Ratner, President Obama's former car czar, uh, says this. For starters, the supply chains have not been cut off, just stretched. And supply issues are by no means the root cause of our inflation. Blaming inflation on supply lines is like complaining about your sweater keeping you too warm after you've added several logs to the fireplace. The bulk of our supply problems are the product of an overstimulated economy, not the cause of it. Sure, there have been some COVID-related challenges, but most of our supply problems have been homegrown. Americans have resumed spending freely, and along the way they've been creating shortages akin to those in a shopping mall on Black Friday. All that consumption has resulted from vast amounts of government rescue aid, including three rounds of stimulus checks and substantial underspending by consumers during the lockdown phase of the COVID crisis. And he says there's an unforeseen shift in what consumers are buying. So uh, we sent out a lot of stuff. 
a lot of money to people. It's not paid for by cutting spending or anything else in other areas. And uh, the demand is up. So uh, also, Jim, as, as you point out in the jolt today, uh, other people are calling malarkey on Biden's suggestion that it's going to be short term. So all in all, terrible. Yeah. So yesterday, uh, my colleague, Andrew Stutterford, who runs National Review's Capital Matters, it's not a separate site. Think of it as like a sort of sub blog of National Review focused on economic and business news. Um, I said, hey, you know, Andy Puzder is uh, formerly the CEO of CKE Restaurants. He's a senior fellow at Pepperdine University. But basically, he's a guy who knows this stuff backwards and forwards. And he has a really good essay. Basically, you know, like, why, why, is, why is everything so expensive? Where did this inflation come from? Um, and he makes the point because you can say, oh, well, it's the pandemic and supply chain issues. Look, maybe supply chain issues are an issue on the sides. The labor shortage doesn't help. These are exacerbating factors. But if the issue was the pandemic, you'd expect just about everybody to have roughly the same level, the pan, uh, same level of infrastructure. But we don't. <laughs> In fact, different countries have different amounts. And what uh, uh, Puzzler looks back and recognizes is we spent an enormous amount of money on COVID relief. He adds up the numbers, comes out to about five point three trillion in total, uh, which he comes out, he does the math, that's like 27% of our GDP. Now you look at all of our other big, you know, Western economies, the European Union, 11%. Uh, United Kingdom, 18%. Canada, 20%, right? Now all of them have inflation, but surprise, surprise, none of them have it as bad as the United States does. So is it the pandemic that's doing it? Or is it that we spent a whole lot more, We actually our government borrowed and spent a whole lot more money to deal with the pandemic, spread it from coast to coast. People have a lot more money in their pockets. So demand is increased, but supply has not. Ta-da, surprise, prices go up. Demand is up, supply is down. Again, supply chain, is it a factor? Yeah, it makes things a little worse. Is the labor shortage a factor? Yeah, it makes things worse. But you look at it basically under the puzzler analysis, about 4 trillion of bipartisan COVID relief makes sense. But inflation, you may recall, we didn't really have terribly bad inflation throughout 2020. And in fact, it only wasn't even really, wasn't even that bad in the first couple of months of 2021. It was really around the middle of last year where all of a sudden you're like, man, are you, are you noticing this at the grocery store? Are you noticing this as you're filling up your tanks and stuff, particularly? And it really seemed to accelerate into the fall. So, you know, you look at that, what happened there? Well, we had an extra 1.9 trillion in COVID relief. And under this analysis, that's where it started getting to the point where like, okay, it's way more money than people know how to spend. Uh, and that's only going to put upward pressure on prices, right? They, you know, a whole bunch, bunch of boosted demand, not an increase in supply. If you ever watched DuckTales, it was a great episode back in the 80s. It's a, basically the gist is if, everybody, if everyone becomes a millionaire, producers hike prices because all of the customers are millionaires now and they can afford to pay more. So uh, I wish I could give you better news, but you know, the, the, really the frightening stuff, and, and Andrew wrote a bit about this, but the, I, I don't usually look for an enormous amount of economic analysis from the chief executive of Heineken, uh, but Dolph Vandenbrin um, has a quote in an interview, just kind of terrifying, where he says, in 24 years, he's never seen anything like it. Quote, across the board, we are faced with crazy increases. There's no model that can handle this kind of inflation. It's kind of off the charts. So it's anybody's guess what the impact is going to be on volumes due to all these price increases. Now, this is Heineken. <laughs> you know, beer is generally pretty easy to sell. So if they're seeing this kind of stuff, it indicates, no, it's not over. We may not even be at the peak. The numbers have been really bad so far at the start of 2022. And, you know, certainly not a lot of indicators this is going to get better anytime soon. Yeah, and the Fed is expected to raise interest rates, which is good for us and our savings. But uh, for a federal government that's $30 trillion in debt, 
raising interest rates on that and having to pay it off the interest every year. Uh, not going to be a lot of money left uh, for other stuff. So well, they'll probably just print more money, Jim. What could be the problem? <laughs> hey, you know what's really great for gas prices, Greg? What? War. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be skyrocketing. That'll be skyrocketing. Yeah. yeah uh, sarcasm, by the way, for anyone who didn't, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, I hope the people that uh, got their stimulus checks saved them because you might need them now with uh, everything costing more. And I also think as more people do their taxes, they're going to realize because of those expanded child tax credits, the refunds aren't going to be as big this year. So uh, that'll make Biden really popular, too. All right, let's move on to our double-fisted crazy martini now, Jim. And let's start in the uh, Canadian Parliament. Both of these deal with the ongoing fight between the Canadian government and the truckers. Uh, Basically, the Canadian version of Prime Minister's questions. Uh, Member of Parliament, Conservative Party member Melissa Lantzman, the only female uh, Jewish member of the Parliament, uh, decided to pull out a couple of different Justin Trudeau quotes, one from back when he was running for Prime Minister and how he described the Canadian people involved in the protests recently. Let's just say the verbiage is a little bit different. So here is her explaining uh, Justin Trudeau's hypocrisy and Trudeau going to the tired, old, liberal response. If Canadians are to trust their government, their government needs to trust Canadians. Those are the words of the Prime Minister in 2015. These people, very often misogynistic, racist, women haters, science deniers, the fringe. Same Prime Minister six years later as he fans the flames of an unjustified national emergency. So, Mr. Speaker, when did the Prime Minister lose his way? When did it happen? Conservative Party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand with Canadians who deserve to be able to get to their jobs, who be able to get their lives back. These illegal protests need to stop, and they will, Mr. Speaker. Jim, we'll get to the second part of this crazy martini in just a moment. But to watch Trudeau, like so many others on the left, Whenever they uh, start facing the heat, their immediate response is to decide that the person questioning their decisions has to be an extremist. Either you're a racist or, in this case, you're thrown in with the Nazis. Greg, you notice the first thing he went to was swastikas. This was not that he's, you know, riffing, speaking off the cuff. He's not keeping track and his, the idea pops into his mind. That was his go-to move. And he didn't care. He didn't clearly he didn't even blink at the prospect of saying to the lone Jewish member of parliament, you're the Nazi here. Um, I've always kind of wondered if Justin Trudeau is as sharp as his fan base thinks he is. I think there's plenty of evidence. There's also like he's one of those figures where if he didn't exist, you'd have to invent him (laughs) because he spends so much time talking about privilege. And, you know, how he needs to stand up for the little guy. And, also, and look, he's the son of the prime minister. It doesn't get more privileged than that. I don't see Justin Trudeau, Trudeau getting nearly as much grief for being the son of Pierre Trudeau as George W. Bush got for the grief for being son of George H.W. Bush, right? And what, by the way, I figure this is a big reason of why. You know, why is he always so much talking about the threat to minorities? Because he wore blackface all the time in his college years and younger years and stuff like that. Why He's overcompensating. Deep down, he knows he is everything that he hates or he's supposed to hate as a good progressive. And thus, he has to bend over backwards, just go even further to to do that. And thus, once he's decided that he is the hero 
that Canada needs, that uh, you know, that everyone else who's opposed to him must be the villain. And he cannot distinguish between a Jewish member of parliament who thinks he's going way too far and a Nazi. And like that's a one that's absolutely mind-bogglingly bad. I do genuinely start to wonder. Um, I mean, it's throughout the entire time of this trucker fight, where ninety percent of Canadian truckers are vaccinated, I, I, I asked last week, why, why doesn't he just declare victory? Why doesn't he say, "Okay, great, the the mandate did what it's supposed to do, we're all done. All right, truckers, you can go home. You're not mandated. Everybody, don't has to show proof of negative tests. Let's get trade going back and forth against the border. Let's go back to normal. We won, and and just let that go. And yeah, you know, but the truckers presumably they they might still think he's an sob. But they'd be happy to go back to going back to doing their li- living their lives and doing their jobs normally. And he'd be able to say, look, I got 90% of them vaccinated. That's that's you know, and, and that's still an A minus on a test. That's fine. I'm not going to shut down my entire nation's economy over getting these last 10% done. And that's what the thing is that he's now turned it into. No, no, uh, it's, it's this Eric Cartman-esque, respect my authority. You know, the Indian <laughs> is I have the power to make you do something you don't want to do. And that's never a good place for a, for a leader to be. Not certainly not a Western democratic leader. Anybody wants to have any notion of living up to this, having the consent of the governed. You weren't elected to make people do things. And it's just unbelievable that, you know, he's, he's lost this pl- the plot of this. I'm kind of struck that members of his party aren't pulling him aside and saying, dude, what are you doing? You're going to take down the entire country this way. But I guess we have to wait and watch. But there's a strong, fascinating indicator of just how out of control the progressive elites in Canada have gotten. The pandemic has been horrific in so many different ways, particularly for kids. Uh, It has exposed some things. Parents have paid a lot closer attention to what's going on in schools. uh, And you can see the tendencies of political leaders. No matter what they say, uh, there is an instinct to to grab more power. Lord Acton was right. There's a reason that quote uh, still hangs on. But uh, also, Jim, uh, the list of the donors uh, to the truckers has been hacked. And it was out there on Twitter and and perhaps other places as well. And so reporters started calling up people who gave like piddling little amounts, you know, uh, relatively speaking, uh, to the protest to the point where, uh, you know, store owners were harassed uh, because their names were out there and forced to close. There's a story of a a woman uh, in, in Ottawa who had to close her cafe because of that. Yet Washington Post reporters Sagar and Jetty, if that's how you say his name, uh, has a as a, a screenshot of the of the email that people are sending out from the Washington Post saying, "Hey, noticed you donated to the convoy. Just uh, curious if that's true and uh, why you might have done that." So you know, basically getting these people way more public attention than they ever wanted here to the point where Jim even Ilhan Omar is wondering what the press is doing here. Her tweet is. I failed to see why any journalist felt the need to report on a shop owner making such an insignificant donation rather than to get them harassed. It's unconscionable and journalists need to do better. Now, normally when I read an Ilhan Omar tweet, and I guess it's probably the first one, where I think I agree with it, I think of where did I go horribly wrong? But in this case, Jim, I think it's just this is so blatantly, obviously stupid that even Ilhan Omar gets it. Greg, the good folks at The Onion created a parody of BuzzFeed-style sites called ClickHole. And a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, they did a headline that keeps coming back over and over again because it keeps articulating a feeling that happens every once in a while in politics. The headline is, heartbreaking. The worst person you know just made a great point. <laughs> and there's this exp- this guy staring at the camera with this look of deep frustration and mixed feelings. You know, That's exactly how I feel right now. Ilhan Omar, that is a great point. Mark it. I doubt that's the first time those words have appeared on this podcast. And 
excellent chance it'll be the last time. But nonetheless, she's right. She's right. Why are you wait doing you know, how? Uh, somebody, you know, what's, there was an old, journalist really loved that this old philosophy of ah, oh, we comfort the afflicted and we afflict the comfortable. That's that's the exact opposite of what they're doing here in a lot of recent cases. A lot of times, people in the national media see their job as to act as the reputational bodyguards of those in power, particularly those in government. And once you do that, you're a PR agent. Once you do that, uh, you're just an extension of the public relations firm that they hire to put out good spin and stuff like that. So it's um, a, a pleasant surprise to see Ilhan Omar uh, uh, making this statement. I don't think it's necessarily going to change, you know, the dynamics of what's happening, either in Canadian media or U.S. media. But it is a really fascinating red flag for them that Ilhan Omar thinks this is going too far. Well, if it's any comfort, uh, the media will change their cheerle- their cheerleading uniforms once the Republicans are back in power here, or the conservatives take power in Ottawa. So uh, it's uh, you know it's it's selective uh, how much they'll flick the comfortable. I mean, this is Greg. This is the angriest I have seen Ilhan Omar when somebody does something. <laughs> Some people did something. You know, it's a deep cut. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't, folks. I do. I do. Very good. Very good. Jim, on that note, we will call time for today and we'll reconvene tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Also, thanks so much for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Please keep those coming. You can find us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday. And please join us on Friday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.